So a question, I'm going to start with a question this morning, a question that Christianity has had to, had to grapple with right from the beginning is this, can Gentiles, non-Jewish people, be a part of the people of God? We kind of know the answer because here we are, but it's not as simple as that. In the beginning, Jesus came to Israel. He was thoroughly Jewish. He didn't go beyond um, Israel. When he talked about his ministry, he said, I've come to fulfill the law, not to replace it. I've come to actually call Israel to be the special people of God that they were created to be. Can Gentiles enter into the people of God? That was a critical question for the first Christians. I, I was reading an article this week that put it more crudely. The question was, is God racist? Does God especially focus on a specific race of people? It's a question that I'd love you to hold on to a little bit as we read our passage for this morning. So it's Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came out to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and is suffering terribly. Jesus didn't answer a word. So the disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Is God racist? Often when I speak, um, I'm conscious of the weight um, of the passage and really grappling with it. Um, I think it's really important that we give the respect to the word of God to allow it to speak and to wrestle with it. But this is one of those passages where I want you to bear with me. We're going we're to grapple with it. I hope that the live stream doesn't drop out halfway through because that would be really worrisome. <laughs> um, this is one of those topics where we have a little bit of work to do, where we have to go backwards before we can go forwards. So let's get into that. I, I'm going to allow room for questions at the end too. So if I don't actually get to landing this, you can ask me questions and I can tell you that I don't know the answers. No, we'll work it out together. But the story begins with a Canaanite woman. Uh, the Canaanite refers to race. It's actually an old word. Even in Jesus' day, it was an old word. It referred to the people who lived in the promised land before the Israelites came in and took possession of it. It wasn't particularly a word that was used of that time. It was actually pointing back to say something about this woman. Uh, probably the closest equivalent we have these days would be Palestinian. Um, with everything in the relationship between the Jewish people and the Palestinians that that uh, kind of uh, implies. Her descendants were probably the people that were writing letters back to Babylon in Nehemiah when they were building the wall and opposing the building of the wall. So that gives you something of the history of who this woman was. But despite all of that, despite her heritage, 
despite her culture and her beliefs, she comes to Jesus and says, Lord, son of David, which is a way of recognizing you are the promised Messiah. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus doesn't even respond. He's got much more self-control than I do when my kids badger me about something. He stays silent. Uh, The disciples are the ones who give in. Jesus, send her away. She keeps bothering us. And his answer is, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, not to Canaanites. It's not right to take the children's bread, Israel's bread, and give it to the dogs, other Gentiles. So, (laughs) Israel are children and Gentiles are dogs in this saying. Is God racist? Uh, There's something that happens with my kids. Ava will attest to it. She's kind of grown out of it, hopefully. Um, They hear the word. There's something wrong in their brain. Uh, The dictionary is broken. They hear the word, not yet, as the word no. Uh, The conversation usually goes like this. Dad, can I have this? And I say, yes, just wait a minute. And then the conversation goes on. Please, can I have it? I just said yes. What what more do you want from me? (laughs) Are you wanting me to say no? Um, Usually, what they're asking for is something that can't be done straight away anyway. So... I find it incredibly frustrating. Thank you for sharing my pain on this one. (laughs) Where I'm giving them an answer and saying, yes, but just wait. There are things that need to happen first. There's a process. There's an order to things. Yes, we'll get there. I'm happy to answer that in the positive. Just wait a minute. But they hear that as no. They, They don't have the maturity yet to understand that sometimes there's patience needed, sometimes things need to happen first, sometimes there's a process. And I think that that's a really important um, illustration for us to keep in mind as we come to this passage. Because I believe that what Jesus is saying in this passage is not no, it's wait. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel first is what he's saying. It's not time yet. Um, As you read through Matthew, one of the things that strikes me me about Jesus, I love Jesus, which is probably good for me as a pastor. I love his grace. I love his compassion. But one of the things he was rock solid, unmoving on, was his mission. It was too important for him to vacillate on. He came and he came for a purpose. You see it right through the Gospel of Matthew. So when he's healed a whole bunch of people and the disciples come to him and say, there's all these other people that are here to be healed, he says, actually, he doesn't say. What he does is he goes and spends the morning in prayer. And then they come to him and they say, let's go back and heal all these people. It's amazing. And Jesus says, no, that is not why I've come. I've come to share the good news of the kingdom of God, so let's go to other places and do that. He didn't come to reach everyone. 
He had a plan and a purpose. He chose 72, and then 12, and then he even had a group of three that he spent most of his time with. He was very intentional and strategic about how he spent his time and where he invested his energy because he wasn't planning to reach everyone himself. Um, Jesus' mission was for the lost sheep of Israel. He came to fulfill that mission to prepare a people that were undivided in their trust to God that would become a light to the Gentiles. God had been working away on this mission for thousands of years, <laughs> um, creating a people that would then be able to be a blessing to the whole world, to share the love of God with the whole world, to start in Israel and then go out into the whole world. And Jesus is saying to this woman, it's not right for me to give up that mission that has been going for a long time and to start doing something in the Canaanites, where I'd have to start again. <laughs> this woman doesn't fit into the plan yet. It's not no, it's not yet. It's a bit like Nehemiah when we were reading about it, when uh, the rulers around him send a letter and say, come down to the plain and meet with us. We, we need to have a council meeting because we think that you're starting a revolution against the king. And he says, no. I'm not coming down to you. I've got a great project that I'm doing over here. It's not right for me to give up on that project to come and meet with you. It's too important. Listen to the response of this woman to Jesus. Jesus says, it's not right to take the food from the children and give it to the dogs. Listen to her response. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that moment. I love this woman as well. I, I love the humble but confident response that she gives. She, she get, says, I get it. Jesus, I understand your mission. I understand what you're trying to do with the people of Israel. I understand the time. I understand my place in this process. I get what you are doing and why you need to go to the Israelites first and why they are the children in this story and I'm not part of that story yet. I understand that you are the promised Messiah that is redeeming the chosen people so that then they will be able to go out into the world. I get that you are God with us. So she's actually saying, I respect your authority and your mission. But, but what I'm asking isn't for you to stop that mission. I'm not asking you to do a big thing. I'm not asking you to get distracted and go sideways and start doing a mission into the Canaanites. What I'm asking is just a simple thing. It's not a big thing for you to do. It doesn't cost you anything. You can just say the word because you are the king of heaven and earth and my daughter will be healed. And she actually gets the end game. She knows that this is the heart and the purpose of God from the beginning was to bring all people in unity in Jesus Christ. She gets that the reason Jesus is saying no is because that's his ultimate goal. 
And she gets that Jesus can easily do it and longs to do it even now. Woman, you have great faith. Your, your faith has healed you. Well, he's healed your daughter. She, this woman in this story, understands the end goal, that there will be a day when the gospel breaks out from Israel. It's a day that, in her day, was very soon. It's the day of Pentecost. The day when the gospel breaks out from Israel and goes out into the whole world. And that step in the process kind of creeps back in time to this point with this woman. The kingdom of God has an amazing ability to do that, where the future comes into the present. That's, that's what's happened to us. Uh, on the day of Jesus' return, we will be t- declared righteous because of what he's done on the cross. It's a future thing, but we now stand with that identity in the present here. We have the power and authority of the kingdom here, even though we're waiting for it to fully come in Jesus Christ. The future creeps back into the present, and that's what happens to this woman here. The future of the gospel going out to all nations, God's blessing coming to all nations, comes into the past. It comes back in time to this woman. Jesus came to fulfill this plan. He was very clear about what the time in that process was. But in this woman, the harvest was already plentiful. And so he heals her daughter. So this passage um, is a great example for us of what it means for the kingdom to break into the present. I, I don't know, th- that's my heart for this world, that the kingdom of God would break into our present here and now. That we would be the kind of people who recognise the reality of this present time, who don't isolate ourselves from the world, who are engaged in the world, but who also live out the kingdom. I I love this quote from uh, Reuben Alves. That's the craziest name ever. Hope is hearing the melody of the future and faith is dancing to that melody here and now. I love that. Hope is hearing the music of heaven. Faith is dancing to it here and now. That's what we're called to do. As, As Christians, we are called to a future where we see the shalom, the peace of God, filling the earth as it fills the seas, where we see that image from Revelation of every tongue, nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and worshipping God, wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their voices and crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. To follow Jesus means that we see that day coming not only with joy, but that we start to move to that rhythm now. People from every nation, tribe, people and language standing in unity, bringing their diversity together to worship God. I've said it before, 
I'm devastated that the Olympics has been postponed for a year, not just because of the logo, but also because of... <laughs> because I think that the Olympic opening and closing ceremony is the closest picture we have for the end goal of creation. It's a beautiful image. People from every nation, language, tribe and tongue gathering together and celebrating together. That's the mission that's been entrusted to us. That's the calling that's on our heart, to be ambassadors of that kingdom. Paul talks about it as ambassadors of reconciliation. I love that reconciliation is a thoroughly Christian term. That our job is to reconcile people to God and to one another. That that is the calling on our hearts, to be a people who graciously reconcile. There's, um, there's work to do on that. There's always work to do on that. Throughout history, Christians have been at the forefront of reaching out across barriers. Um, we talked about Pentecost, where these Jewish people suddenly realised that the message and truth of Jesus was for everyone. And quite unexpectedly, even for them, they started to reach out across every barrier that they knew barriers of race, barriers of um, social standings, barriers of culture, distance, language. The gospel just exploded and crossed all of these barriers. Um, it's incredible to see the Spirit of God at work in the early first century. Just boom, unexpected, just truth and unity and reconciliation working across every barrier that there is. In the early 19th century, you, you have this situation where slavery is present in the United States and in um, the United Kingdom. Uh, most, no, I won't say most, many people considered slavery an evil that should stop one day. But not many people were advocating hard for it to stop. It was almost entirely a Christian mission. A group of uh, dedicated Christian people who understood that not only should slavery end one day, but that God had called us to enact that future reality in the present. We need to be a people of reconciliation. And so they dedicated their lives to it. They, they followed the example of great faith that this Canaanite woman had in this story and said, what God is going to do, we are going to dance to now. We're, we're going to see his kingdom enacted. We're going to fight for those values, for reconciliation, for freedom, for justice. We're going to enact now the truth of the gospel. Even though for many people, it seemed idealistic. It seemed like that's not the way the world works. We will enact that. Faith in the kingdom of God, in this idea of people from every nation, tribe and tongue gathering together in unity to worship God, was at the heart of the civil rights movement. You look, listen to Martin Luther King, his I Have a Dream speech. His I Have a Dream speech is describing that image from Revelation. He was a Baptist pastor. Um, 
I like that. <laughs> um, he was a Baptist pastor who didn't want to be a politician. He saw his mission as being thoroughly a teacher of the gospel. And as a teacher of the gospel, he saw that civil rights needed to happen. He had absolute confidence that the movement would win out. Uh, one of his great sayings is, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. What he's saying is, the end goal is the kingdom of God. The end goal is a picture from Revelation. So he could have confidence that we'd get there eventually, and the peace of that, whilst also working tirelessly to see it lived out in the present. There's still a lot of work to do in this world. We stand in line with a great history of Christians who have crossed barriers, who have sought reconciliation, one step at a time, when they are able to, ending slavery, advocating for the rights of all people, wanting to see unity and peace and shalom and justice. That image from Revelation. Uh, We are still in the midst of working that out. We will be until Jesus returns. Um, One of the things that we are starting to acknowledge even now, there's there's a sense of history coming together in this time, is that there is still ongoing injustice and prejudice. And that for most of the people in this room, we're on the wrong side of that. We've been beneficiaries of systemic injustice. We are privileged. It's not something that we have necessarily created. It's something that we've inherited. It's an aspect of this world that is still yet to be redeemed by the kingdom of God. But it is a reality. And God calls us forward. Says, this is not my design for creation. So, uh, one of the things I'm challenged on, and we as a church at a leadership level are challenged on, is that we need to find our place within that. We need to understand what we are called to do to dance to the rhythm of heaven here and now. Um, How do we use our privilege? to advocate for justice? How do we understand the stories? A lot of it is about understanding. We, we don't understand what most of the world goes through. So we need to listen and be open and hear the voices and this has been a year in which some of those voices and some of the reality that the world lives in has come to the forefront. We need the the humility to listen to that. One of the things we need to do is acknowledge that reality. Just name it without saying, here's the solution, or, but just to say, this is reality for the moment. Get our heads around it and say, how do we together work towards it? So here in Australia, we have a long way to go in closing the gap. I, I find it um, heartbreaking that 
our indigenous brothers and sisters who are way ahead of uh, non-indigenous people in their faith in God. <laughs> Majority Christian, <laughs> our indigenous brothers and sisters um, still have incredibly high infant mortality rates, still have much shorter life expectancy, still struggle with access to education and opportunity, still are not respected and valued. I, I know how much the oldest culture on earth, reflected in the Aboriginal people, has to speak into our culture. Like the valuing of land and the valuing of community, the idea of walking lightly, walking humbly with your God and uh, appreciating and stewarding creation, things that we have separated ourselves from in the Western world. We are richer when we understand and are able to hear and receive that gift. So there are a few things I kind of want to acknowledge around this topic and from this passage. The first is that um, injustice will always be with us. So what we're talking about is not a problem where there is a magic bullet, where if we just do this, this, and this, that problem will go away. I think it's really um, necessary that we acknowledge that so we don't feel paralyzed, but we also don't feel like we need to look for easy answers on this. I, I love this concept of justice being a way that you walk, not a possession that you have. Justice is a way that you live. Um, I love this idea of the Christian faith as a pilgrimage. It is walking towards a destination, the destination being the kingdom of God. We won't get there until Jesus returns, but we can take the next step towards it. And so that's what we will do. As people here at Glen Osmond who are committed to the ways of Jesus, are committed to the mission that he began, are committed to his heart for justice, are committed to that vision of all people gathering together and worshipping him, respecting their diversity and bring it together as an act of worship to God, we will take the next step. For us, as I've said, a lot of it is about listening, but there are some simple things that we can do as well. We're taking small steps. You may have noticed that we've introduced an acknowledgement of country. Acknowledgement of country is not about looking back and um, feeling guilty and wrapping ourselves over the knuckles about what has happened in the past. Acknowledgement of country is about looking forward and looking forward to a day when we, as an Australian nation, live together in unity and value the story that has happened here that we can walk together in peace. Um, there are a number of other things we will do. We haven't been great on our justice portfolio and just looking for opportunities to um, do justice. And so we're, we're starting to do that more and more as we come together and um, Karen has a heart for that and is starting to help educate us. So. Um, Karen will have a bit more input into me in particular, <laughs> but also into us. Um, 
we've got a heart for Cambodia. Uh, that is something that God has placed in our hearts, how we see the gospel enter into Cambodia, but also justice and opportunity come to that nation. Uh, I'm conscious of COVID, actually. Um, the injustice that is possible around COVID. Right now, we're all in the same boat. But um, I worry about what will happen if a vaccine is developed and it costs $10 per person. And for the majority of the world, they don't have $10 per person. So how do we see justice around health? This recognition that all people are created in the image of God, are valuable, are worthy of dignity and respect and life and care. I don't have an answer for that, but we'll, we'll keep journeying on that. I'm, I'm conscious around the issues to do with COVID in our own society. We, we are rich in physical goods, but we're really poor in relationship in Australia. We have so much isolation and loneliness, so many mental health issues, uh, inequality between the haves and the haves-nots, and I worry about what will happen economically with COVID. This is a time... Sorry, that's a bit depressing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's reality. But this is a time for the church to be the church. Because we are a community gathered around Jesus, committed to his values, living them out. This is a time for us to rise up to care for those within our community that need it. To love, to welcome, but to look for opportunities to bless. This is a time for us to be who we're called to be, just to take that next step in following Jesus. And so we're going to be dedicated to that. Let's um, all work together to encourage us to be the people that we're meant to be. But this is the one big but. We're going <laughs> to... Don't laugh. <laughs> We're going to follow the example of Jesus in being strategic about that as well. To recognising what we can do, to recognising where we can best invest our efforts so that they have a return, to start small, to not think that we have to do everything for everyone and reach the whole world, to think multiplication, multiplication rather than addition, where Jesus started with the three and the 12 and the 72. He invested in them so that they could go out and spread the kingdom. Justice is a long walk, but we're going to get on the road rather than stand on the sidelines. For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of our indigenous brothers and sisters, for the sake of the world, and for our sake as well. Because what it means to be human, what it means to live in the peace of God, is about those around us, not just us. And um, something in our heritage has lost that. Something in our heritage says that blessing is just about me. And actually that impoverishes us. It leads us away from God's blessing. So this is not just us giving to others. It's about us entering into the blessing of God, entering into the way of life that he's called us to and taking the next step in that.
All right, I said I'd uh, allow time for questions. I have no idea how we're going for time. We're doing all right. Are there any questions about that? Michael. Uh, no, I think um, we're not talking about um, necessarily, what's the word? Not equity, but equality, is that right? Um, so not treating everyone as though they're exactly the same, but treating everyone with, yeah, with um, the same care and responding to who they are. Uh, that's something that I think we struggle with. Like, when it comes to issues of race and culture, we, we try and avoid any discussion of, <laughs> of the differences between people and the, the um, value that they bring. And the kingdom of God and that image at the end of creation is not treating everyone the same and everyone looking the same. It's an image of everyone gathering together and bringing their uniqueness and their diversity together in an act of worship for God. So it's... I think it is right to acknowledge the differences and the diversity that people have, the different needs that they have, and respond to them accordingly. I'm not sure if that answers the question. Well, what about the decision of a leader or a teacher has to make is possibly in favour one group rather than another? Yeah, it's tricky. Um, yes. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> Thank you for bringing... I have a nice, neat, black and white message, Michael. Why, why do you have to bring reality into it? Yeah, it's, it is not something that you can just come up with an easy answer to and go, this is how to do it. It is something that you commit to and that you learn in and, yeah, we'll learn as we go. Thanks. All right. Another question. Yeah, yeah. Is that now? <laughs>